streaming live around the world, this is Paper Cuts with Brad and Jay. I'm the one you love. I'm Jay. Thanks so much for stopping by. Over there's Brad. It's his show. It's his show. That's why I'm the host, and we just love Jay. Now you know it's all natural. I mean, you know, nothing's rehearsed, right? No, absolutely nothing is rehearsed on this show. God, you just suck the life out of you. It just feels like <laughs> you've got you've got a lot grayer since we started this. I I'm have. Honest. I know. I have. Grab your jar of moonshine tonight. We chat with Russell W. Johnson. We are live. Here we are. Happy evening to all. What are you laughing at about now? I didn't listen to the intro before, and it just cracked me up. <laughs> the, I was trying to go as deep as I could go. That's all. <laughs> Welcome to Paper Cuts, everyone. Hope your day or week, whatever today was. It was a long week for me today. I don't know what's going on, Brad. It was a long week for you today, too, right, for work? Long week for me today, too, yeah. Yeah, Fridays are not supposed to go like that, right? But now you, everyone gets to end it with us. You know, two dopes of microphones. We have a guest with us tonight. Making an even there. longer wake with us. <laughs> exactly. I'm here. Brad's there. We're going to do a little bit more of this uh, fiction with a kick chat. Another uh, shotgun honey. Yeah, we've had a bunch of shotgun honey people on recently. Yeah, we, we, may, we may talk about some moonshine, too. I don't know. A little bit. You, you have some moonshine, don't you, Brad? Yeah, a little moonshine. I just have bourbon. Really. It's water. It's water. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the program, Ryder of uh, the Moonshine Messiah. You can pick that up through Shotgun Honey. Thank you. Yeah. Russell W. Guy. Johnson. Russell, thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Russell. Not much. Not much. Long week here, too. The short weeks always feel long. Don't they? I do, yeah. They? <laughs> They're like the longest. And like, you know. Like today was a week long. It felt like I don't I don't know what was going on with work. And Brad was complaining about it too. And it's like, okay, let's just yeah. let's just do this. Let's just get through the day because we knew we had a show tonight. Enough about us. What's going on with you in the book? <laughs> <laughs> so well, the book launched a week ago today. So um, you know, I'm I'm had a little trouble paying attention to work this week because I'm excited about the book being out. And uh sounds like uh, from what I've heard from Ron, the sales got off to a really good start. So that's nice. Great. Nice. Good. Yeah. Any then, kind uh, of feedback from people so far? Uh, well, you know, I mean, most of the, the reviews have been good. I mean, the, I've only gotten one negative review so far <laughs> where a lady told me there was too much cussing in the book. And uh, Three minutes in to the show, we're talking about negative reviews. Yeah. <laughs> Brad, Brad usually keeps track of that because I usually... At least you- you didn't yeah. bring it up though. Jay. I didn't he bring it up, it, so time, it's okay. But but you know, and it's shorter than five minutes usually. If I I, I bring it up, a negative review, but yeah, <laughs> they're, they're going to happen. Yeah. So so far, I said the lady just said there was too much cussing, and I just responded to her that was bullshit. And then <laughs> so that's gonna say there wasn't enough cussing, but okay. Yeah. That's, I wouldn't even count that as a. I mean, if she gave you like one star or whatever, but I wouldn't even say that's a negative review. That would. I don't think she. I don't think book. she bought it. She just. Uh, I think she looked at like the first pages you can see, you know, and then. Oh yeah. Okay. The need to send pages. me like a face. Send me a Facebook message just to let me know that there's too much cussing <laughs> in my book. Books not you for should, her then. Yeah, you should just told her you're try harder next time for more. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. so this is- Someone told me once you should write like your your parents are dead, you know, and so <laughs> I, I've kind of done that. But then so I'm always a little embarrassed once, you know, like my mom starts buying the books and passing around the family. <laughs> I think Lansdale said something like that. Right, like everyone's dead, though. Well, just write for yourself. Yeah. yeah. And if you're not offending people, you're doing it wrong, right? That's yeah, right. He says that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you've already succeeded. You've already offended somebody. So you're a, a well-established author now, offending that yeah. lady. <laughs> 
So let's get into it. Is this your first uh, publication, or, or we just don't know about the other ones, or what's going on? Uh, this is my first novel. So yeah, I've been doing the short story thing for you know about a decade uh, and trying to get books published, but this is the first one that that uh, has been published, and I'm hoping to have a uh, follow up sequel to it, and maybe a third one. Oh, okay. You've been doing short stories, same kind of material, same kind of uh, subjects, or. Yeah, uh, so I've, I've had probably about five or six short stories that have this the same main character in it, um, Sheriff Mary Beth Kane. So they've okay. been in like um, uh, Thuglet, Rock and a Hard Place. Okay, okay, great. Know, some of the crime, uh, tough okay. crime, some of those places. What's the uh, short story you won the award for? So the the very first short story I did, um, it was called Chungling Sue's Greatest Trick. And it was like, this like ruined me for writing for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, I, I w- um, was just trying to figure out, you know, how to be a writer. I tried a couple of years to get a novel going and nobody wanted to touch it. And uh, an agent that I met with at one of those pitch conferences where he had no interest at all in talking to me, uh-huh. uh, said, he was like, you know, you really need to do short stories for a while. So it's like, okay, I'm going to try this. And so in North Carolina, they have the North Carolina Writers Network where they've got like a critique service where you can send things in and get reviewed. So I did Uh, that. And um, uh, the lady is Ruth Moose, who's a local writing teacher. She sent me back this great feedback with a little note, said you should submit this to Ellery Queen. I was like, well, what's Ellery Queen? (laughs) (laughs) I've been busy being a lawyer and not a writer for a while. So, um, you know, I looked it up and they had a department first stories. So I sent it in and it got accepted. And I was like, well, great. You know, that actually, that's like the most I ever got paid for a story, the first one I did. <laughs> and then like a year later, out of the blue, I get an email from the editor telling me that I'd won the um, Edgar Awards Robert L. Fish Prize. And I'd never even heard of the Edgar Awards at that point. You know, but, uh-huh. you know I got to go to New York and find out it's kind of like, you know, the Oscars for crime writers. And nice. Stuff. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So, oh. so I thought, you know, at that point, I thought, man, this writing thing is easy, you know. <laughs> and then it was all downhill after that, right? That's right. It's all downhill. So, so are, are you a full-time writer with a little bit of a attorney lawyer stuff on the side? You know, I would say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a full-time lawyer and a, and a part-time writer on top of it. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to help you out there, but go ahead. <laughs> so was the, that story, was that also a Mary Beth Kane story or was it something completely different? Oh, no, it was totally different. Just totally, totally unrelated one. So is Mary Beth, is she a character that's, I guess, been reoccurring in your imagination to do all these short stories about her, now finally a novel? Yeah, so the first um, story I did uh, with her, uh, it was probably the maybe the second or third one I got published in um, Thuglet, and it was mm-hmm. called, um, it's called Her Brother's Keeper. And so this novel is sort of like an expansion of that story. Okay. Um, and then over the years, you know, when I was trying to get this novel published and I've spent like six years going through three different agents <laughs> with it, you know, I would take little pieces of it every now and then and, you know, turn it into a short story. And so a lot of like little chapters or snippets here and there became short stories in other places. Okay. I, I got to say, like, uh, when, when I first started reading this one, like I was picturing Mary Beth a certain way, but then the office scene when mm-hmm. she gets down and dirty with somebody and I'm not going to give you spoilers, <laughs> but I was like, well, I don't think she's like that now. I'm, I'm trying to yeah. try to get it. I'm trying to paint a picture of what each person kind of looks like. I, I do that when I go throughout a story, but I was totally wrong with her. <laughs> so yeah, I, you know, I must've, I should have read other stuff that had her in it. I could have probably figured it out, but. 
You know, I think it may just be an example of bad writing because my my wife pictures her very differently <laughs> than I do. You know, like she kind of pictures her sort of brutish, you know, yeah. strong lady. Well, I mean, because be, being the sheriff of, uh, you know, a country town in, in West Virginia, mm-hmm. so I, I figure she always had a, a jar of moonshine with her to begin with. And you know, <laughs> I don't know what the sheriffs do in, in West Virginia, but maybe. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a trickery there, on, you know, for you. Yeah. So, see, I see her as someone who, you know, she's tough, but she's much more, she gets much farther with attitude than actual, like, you know, physical okay. strength. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of, actually, I wrote this before I'd ever seen Ozark, but I kind of think of her as like the Julia Garner character. Like if she grew up to be sheriff, you know, that's, ah, kind of that's picture of Mary Beth. Kent. One of my favorite characters of all time. Yeah. Uh, uh, Brad, you ever watched Ozark yet? Have you? I haven't yet. You keep telling me to watch it. I haven't got around to There's it. There's this big debate because I tell them how good Ozark is. Uh, and Julia Garner's character, one of my favorite characters of all time of anything. So, yeah. Yeah, she's yeah. great. So you you, uh, you had this sitting around a while before it landed with Shotgun Honey. It's been written for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Years. Yeah, so I started, I think I read this book in 2016. Oh, dang. And it, um, I, I, I sent it out. I got like, it's like the best response I've ever gotten from queries. I got mm-hmm. an offer from an agent like right away. And stupidly, I just took it. I was like, yes, finally an agent. <laughs> and it turned out to be a really bad experience. Um, you know, he spent about two years telling me he was sending it out, but would never like really tell me where or like show me, you know, like responses and got to the point where I kind of suspected he wasn't really sending it out at all. Oh, wow. So, but so by the time we finally parted ways, I thought the book was dead because I couldn't really tell any other agents who'd seen it, where it had gone or anything like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. And in the meantime, I'd already written a sequel to it because the agent was like, write a sequel, you know, this is going to sell. And so I had two books. And so I, I tried kind of selling the second book as a standalone. Right. And in some ways, I think the second book is a better book, but it's clearly a second book in a series. You know, it just doesn't really work real well as a, as a standalone. But I was querying on that. And and at the same time, I just tried sending out moonshine on my own to you know places that will take things directly from authors. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a couple offers from some small presses. And so some of the agents who had the, the second novel, you know, I, I was pinged. them was like, Hey, by the way, I've got an offer on this other novel. And all of a sudden they were very interested. You know, they wanted to see the first novel. And um, so I signed with another agent who convinced me not to go with any small presses to rewrite it. And we'd send it out fresh to, you know, change the title, send it out fresh to other places. So I spent like another year or so kind of revising and revising and revising and, the agent just seemed to like it less and less every single time, you know, I sent it to her. And so just never sent it out. And so finally it's like, okay, well, you know, maybe it's not good, but I'd at least like to send out and try. Uh-huh. So, so part ways with, with her and then queried again and got a third agent who did fine. You know, he, he spent about a year sending it out, got close, you know, like second rounds with a couple of places, but just didn't sell. And so um, I wanted to try again with some smaller presses and he didn't think that was a good idea. So we parted ways again. And so I sent out again on my own and got a couple offers and one was with shotgun honey, which I had always admired. You know, mm-hmm. they, they'd rejected my flash fiction many times. So I knew they had good taste. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so I, I went with them. So. so you didn't have very good experience with agents basically. No, I'm now on my fourth agent, and it's been a good experience so far. So okay. Fourth, fourth time, time is a charm. Yeah. 
All those agents had stuff against small presses. It sounds like. Well, yeah, telling not to use a small. I think they were wanting like uh, you know big deal, sort of more money for them, right? Yeah, well, most <laughs> small presses, you know, a lot of them don't do advances, or if they do, it's really small, and that's where they, you know, they get most of their money. So, mm-hmm. right. so what's it been like working with Ron over at Shotgun Honey? Uh, Ron's the best, you know. I mean, I, I some dirt horse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, Ron, I believe, is a fellow WVU grad. I know he's he's in West Virginia. So, um, okay. so you know, he, he puts up with me. I think I, I'm one of his needier authors with a lot of requests and things. But, <laughs> um, you know, I always think I think Ron's just the best cover designer out there, you know, and yeah. web designer. His stuff just always looks slick. And he's I, I think he's just got a he's got great taste. You know, he's always picking quality stuff and. You know, I tell people I, I've, I've used Shotgun Honey as kind of like the best of AAA baseball. You know, it's like, mm, okay. you know, it's like you go see guys like maybe none of them are household names yet, but like there, there's some people there that are gonna they're gonna be big. You know, uh-huh. and he, he's publishing a lot of people right now who I, I think several of them are gonna be household names before too long. And all the the quality of the product, not just the story themselves, but the books and the covers, everything looks great. Everything looks really professional that they put out. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I've been very pleased to go with them. And since it's a West Virginia themed book too, I think it's just it's really special to have a, a West Virginia based publisher. Why did you go with a West Virginia themed book? Oh, so I'm <laughs> I'm originally from West Virginia. No, I'm just, I was just leading into the question right. so we could talk about where he's from, Brad. I, I, okay. No jokes okay. yet. No jokes yet. Okay. <laughs> you save those. But um, uh, now I'm originally from uh, Cross Lanes, which is uh, right outside of Charleston. And so it's right. it's known now for the there's for the uh, casino there. It's very popular in the dog track. Mm-hmm. So um, so I, I grew up there, and my parents are from coal country down in southern West Virginia. Okay. So um, you know I kind of grew up with coal like the sort of like fanciful mythologized view of these you know uh, utopian coal towns that my parents grew up in that basically don't really exist anymore. I mean not not the way that they remember them because yeah. even when they were young they they kind of knew that their time was limited there you know that the jobs were drying up and um you know just 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 a, a lot of great storytellers in my family and so i just grew up hearing great stories about things would happen there and so it just has always kind of lived large in my imagination so yeah. that's the setting for this book did you draw on from a lot of either life experience or people you know that are like that and incorporate them into certain characters in the book? Did you moonshine? That's what he wants to Did know. Did you moonshine? Is, is your family full of moonshiners? Yes. Yeah, so I've not personally moonshined. Uh, I've got an uncle who lives down in Texas now who's from West Virginia who's, who's quite prolific at moonshining. Mm-hmm. He makes some really, really great stuff. Um, but I've definitely tasted my fair share. So. Do you have a favorite flavor? Or just yeah, like real. the straight up, just normal. Not, just yeah, just the white lightning, just the straight white up. White lightning. Let's not, let's not mess around, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did want to ask real quick. You said you wrote this book back in 2016. Did you do a lot of? Did you edit much for the new version? Because I know in here at one point you mentioned like the the Capitol riots. So that obviously happened way after 2016. So did you change much between then and now? Yeah, I mean, I had to update things a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the because it, it deals with the, an anti government militia, so you right. know, some putting in some reference to QAnon and some of the, the modern militias, uh, mm-hmm. was definitely some updating. Um, I think one of the biggest things that frustrated me is, is some of the things that I felt were kind of 
prophetic in our now are like common knowledge you know like the mm -hmm. the guy who's the moonshine messiah who's like this conspiracy guru you know he has this real like ludite rant against like the future of ai and things like that mm -hmm. you know yeah. that no one was talking about 2016 but now it's you know very much talks like about everybody's it. conversation now yeah ai taking over yeah and you know what effect that's going to have on especially lower wage workers but really all of us right mm -hmm. so you're kind of predicting the future like the simpsons does they always <laughs> I was the say. <laughs> yeah, that's right so did you go play the lottery after that you know after you realized all your stuff was coming true from the <laughs> yeah i should have yeah i should have <laughs> so i know you're from west virginia was there a just because you were from there you wanted to have the story set there or is it another reason you know you're just familiar with it or um well you know i think um my initial idea for the short story when i wrote it is i started with um you know my favorite short story is fire in the hole by elmore leonard which mm -hmm. the the raylan givens series justified is is based upon uh and so i i kind of started with that thinking about like what what would a female Raylan Givens be like, and then, you know, instead of putting her in Kentucky, I put her in, in West Virginia, you know, where I, mm -hmm. where I was more familiar with. So it kind of yeah. spun out of that. Yeah. And you got like that the, blurb uh, on the front. Go ahead, Jay. I was going to, I was going to talk about the blurb. Go ahead. Okay. I was say you, the blurb on the front from uh, Craig Johnson logins it to justified and sons of our sons of anarchy together. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, that You're kind of inspired by just justified and, you know, someone else is seeing that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it's hard to see that that's a big influence on me. I mean, Elmore Leonard's probably my favorite writer. And so yeah, I was, I was just going to say, like, when I started seeing about the bikers in West Virginia, I got a very Sons of Anarchy feel to mm -hmm. it. And I haven't really watched the show to really know much what's going on. But it, that was the feel I got, you know, just a, these outback kind of this out of place kind of biker gang. You would tell you could tell they're out of place, you know, because they're yeah. not normally there. So. It, the pacing, I, I really like the pacing of the book. It, it starts really fast and it stays fast. I was telling Brad behind the scenes, I was like, I'm exhausted. I mean, I, I so much <laughs> happening, you know. You have a lot of people involved, you have a lot of things happening, fights here, fights there, all this mystery. I'm like, I'm wore me out to read it. I want it more, <laughs> but it wore me out. I was tired after reading it. Oh, thank <laughs> you. yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a, an ADD person, so I, I have a pretty quick trigger on books, you know, if it doesn't sort of get my attention, keep my attention. I'm, I'm bad about not finishing. So yeah. I try mm -hmm. to write something that would keep my attention. So that's the, the idea anyway. So and with being, that, uh, a, a, a lawyer, have you, did, were you pulling any kind of uh, real life situations that you may have been involved in and, and make it in, into, uh, you know, changing the names of course, but put it <laughs> in the book anywhere or any of your um, writing at all? Are you Patrick? Bit. Are you Patrick Connolly? No, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm probably is more, more similar to Patrick Connolly than any other character in the book. Oh, yeah. Um, just because he's sort of like you know the straight, boring guy. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think the their the Mary Beth's one of her antagonists in the book is this country lawyer named Alexander Pomfried. Mm, yeah, and, and so I've 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 been like the city slicker from Raleigh up against you know some real kind of flamboyant country lawyers and so i i definitely <laughs> drawn some from that that experience what, what's he keep calling her darling or what is it what's uh, it? sugar sugar sugar, sugar. sugar. Yeah, like sugar. That. yeah yeah that's a very southern thing to call somebody sugar yeah yeah 
Yeah. So I've had a lot of like kind of my cousin Vinny experiences where I'm sort of like the city lawyer out, you know, in the country and getting home cooked. And that's always an experience. So all do all your, uh, your fellow lawyers, do they know you've written the book? Have they read it or are you like, no, please don't read this. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, a lot of them know about it and, and are, you know, I think reading it now. So it's, mm-hmm. I, it's probably something that, um, had I stayed with sort of like the more traditional firm that I was at for a long time, I, uh-huh. I might've had to conceal a little bit, you know, to keep them <laughs> Use a name or something. Yeah. Business clients. But you know, the place where I'm now, most of my clients actually um, speak Spanish. And so I, I'm not really too concerned about many of them reading it. <laughs> to be honest. With the, go back to the blurb real quick. How did you get a blurb from uh, Craig Johnson? For those that don't know, he wrote, the Walt Longmire series, which is, you know, the Longmire TV show. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan, big fan of his uh, as well. And um, I, uh, you know, was reading about him one day and realized, found out that he's from uh, Huntington, West Virginia, which I didn't mm-hmm. realize, you know, cause he writes the stories about out in, you know, big sky country where he is now. Um, so I just, you know, started searching around. So I found some contact information and, I, th- I want to say maybe I just went through like his website, you know, like the contact me little field on the website and kind of yeah. pitched him who I was in the book. And, um, that, you know, I was wondering if he would be willing to take a look at it and possibly blurb it. It's one of those things, you know, like you just shoot out and don't expect anything right. to happen. Right. But uh-huh. I mean, it was maybe like 30 minutes later or something. I had an email from him and, uh, um, oh, that's cool. You know, th- the only thing he said was that, um, you know, he said he'd be happy to look at the book, but just he doesn't read on screen. So I'd have to send him a hard copy, so, uh-huh. you know, quickly print it out and FedEx it out to <laughs> his ranch you know, in Wyoming. And, um, you know, didn't know if I'd ever hear from him again. But, you know, sure enough, he came through with this. You, know, you just, just printed out like a Word document of it and said, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, arcade yeah, or anything. So. I tried to make it pretty. I like three hole punched it and put it in. Uh, okay, <laughs> gotcha. That's cool. That he was responsive, like so quick, like that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it especially it's really great. I think when someone of that status is willing to you know give someone the time of day who's you know a nobody mm-hmm. trying to get their first book blurbed. I feel like most people we've talked to that have gotten blurbs from like i guess bigger name people they've all been like yeah they were really nice you know willing to help out the the newcomer or the the lesser known author or whatever so i, I feel like that's pretty consistent throughout the writing community in general yeah the authors willing to help each other out like that which i think is really cool it didn't seem yeah. like too many people not everybody i'm sure people have egos but for the most part it seems like egos are pretty much in check and everyone's just down to earth and willing to help everybody out yeah it's really shocking especially like in crime writing like I don't know. I guess just because the subject matter, you would think people would be like difficult personalities, but it's like mm-hmm. the nicest people in the world, you know, crime writing. Yeah. Same yeah. with the horror community. Yeah, the like horror everyone's community. like, everyone be like, oh, these people are going to be awful, the most, you know, yeah. evil people ever, but they're like the most nice people you've ever met. Yeah. They just but do then, all the evil stuff on the page and then they're nice in real life. Yeah. But then you look at like, like YA or romance and they're, they, it seems like they get pretty vicious with each other. <laughs> yeah. Don't leave like a, like a three-star review for any of those. They'll yeah. come after you apparently. I don't know. They will come. Yeah. The four-star review later blew up the other day. and She tanked her book, man. It was bad. Did it happen again? It's happened quite a few times. I know. But... Yeah. She made it. I don't, I don't remember her name, but she made a TikTok video complaining that someone gave her four stars and it ruined her perfect five-star average. Mm, and come on so they shouldn't do that as an author but also now people who haven't read the book are just giving it one stars 
and it's down to like <laughs> one point something on Goodreads. She's tanked her book. I mean, that's happened before in the past a couple times. I, I remember that's people are setting themselves up for that, but that's just like it's karma. But also, yeah. I don't believe in going purposely reviewing a book bad if you haven't read it. But yeah. she kind of got what she got coming. <laughs> so you got your blurb. I mean, it, it seems like it was a timing thing. You got you got it back. You got a response back from him in like thirty minutes. So maybe he was just happened to be checking his emails at that time and yeah maybe he's in between projects there's all about timing you know so yeah. it works it works out for you yeah absolutely yeah yeah it's it was a total total stroke of luck and then it was i mean it's just like the perfect you know like if i was to write it for him like that's what i would have written you know so. yeah <laughs> yeah so did you so ever I, in your wildest you, imagination think he would respond at all no not really you know I, but at that point i'd I was so used to getting rejected and things that I, I just was like, I have no fear of, of embarrassment. So I just send things out and <laughs> see what happens. Yeah. I want to shout out Paul Shepard real quick. Cause I don't remember where he's living at, but it's three o'clock in the morning where he's at and he's here watching the show. Oh, wow. He said an alarm this time, right? Paul. He did. He said an alarm to like, <laughs> wake up and watch the episode. <laughs> he always watches it. He's already, he always hops into chat like two and a half days early. <laughs> and then he watches the replay. So we appreciate it. Hey, there's, they're still waiting for their big name authors. No game yeah. and Clive Barker to respond back. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I should say in fairness, I mean, there were, there were a couple others that I, you know, sent to who did not respond. So it wasn't universal, but I don't, you know, everybody's busy and, you know, I mean, you, I you can make, you can make it. a career on it. Uh, Bentley Little uses the same Stephen King blurb from like <laughs> 25 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, you know, that's the, the funny thing is like, I'm planning like a book two and three. I'm pretty sure I'm just going to use that same blurb, you know, no matter. You know, <laughs> oh, what, totally. Yeah. Whatever yeah. book it is. James Fetcho likes uh, your title. The Moonshine Messiah is a great title. Would be a great name for a tune. That definitely Thank would you. be. Get on yeah. it, James. He writes. James tunes. sings and plays music, plays guitar. Yeah. yeah. I have to uh, credit Eric Pruitt, um, author of Something Bad Wrong for the title. It was mm. originally titled, um, the Mayberry Messiah. And he's the one who recommended the change to Moonshine. Yeah. I like Moonshine better. I, I yeah. think that's what got me um kind of interested in the book. Oh, the, the title itself. Like, oh, that sounds really cool. Check out that and see what that's about. Yeah. And you, it, said it your, to it. You, you said your agent had you change the title. Do you remember what you changed it to? Was it still? Oh, oh, no, no, it's, uh, my uh, friend, another writer, Eric Pruitt. Um, he uh, He's the one who had recommended. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Back when I was going to change it. Um, yeah. They, they recommend you change it. Yeah, so I was. It was going to be called Ruckus, was the name then, and so that agent was very big on me trying to emulate Carl Hyacin, and so the idea was to find a title that sounded like a Carl Hyacin book. Mm -hmm. so, and I liked Ruckus, but I liked Moonshine Messiah better. So once, as soon as I part ways with that, that agent, a different ring to it, I think. It's, yeah, Ruckus. Ruckus doesn't sound bad, but it's way more generic than Moonshine yeah. Messiah's. Like very unique. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Moonshine Messiah sounds like it belongs with Shotgun Honey. It does, yeah. You know, yeah. It sounds like a Shotgun Honey type title. So, we well, you know, the I think the the disconnect that I had with that second agent is she wanted me to make the book funnier. You know, like there's a little bit of humor in it, but right. I still see it as ultimately a crime book or a mystery. And so, you know, to me, the Moonshine Messiah, there's still sort of like that element of mystery and crime to it, whereas mm -hmm. you know, Ruckus is more like. I don't know, a caper or something, you know, than a crime story. What's yeah. I don't, it totally would have changed the tone if you injected a bunch more like slapstick comedy in it, which yeah. would have, would have felt off. Yeah. Except some of the comedy is just the fact that it's, 
these backwoods uh, (laughs) people in the heart of uh, West Virginia and just, you know, we won't go too too deep into it, give it all away, but still. (laughs) Like uh, Mary Beth ragging on Izzy because he's short. Like that's the quippy, funny back and forth instead of you trying to. Some of the sayings too. Some of the, uh, the country kind of sayings. Those aren't funny, Jay. That's real. Serious. I was, was going to say, Brad probably uses those in his everyday language. Sugar. Call people sugar all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everyone was... in the chat's loving the title, too. Moonshine yeah. Messiah. It is a really good title. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, a lot of those things, th- th- those are things that tend to come from real life. You know, as, as writers, I think we all have um, license to steal anything we hear and stick it in a book. Mm-hmm. I got to kick out at the whole. Uh, uh, pirate radio uh, stuff going on too. Um, yeah, because you were in radio. Well, back when I was in radio, like it was actually yeah. big, it, pirate radio was bigger. I, I I don't hear much about it anymore because of like satellite and mm-hmm. regulations and all that stuff. But I, when I was younger, growing up, I, I would be able to find some of these pirate radio stations that's coming out of you know people's basements and stuff, just listening to them. You know, public access stuff. At least around Ohio and stuff, I was able yeah. to hear. But I I, I like the whole, you know. They kind of knew where he was. They didn't know how to get to him. You know, being in West Virginia, the regulations were kind of different. And it was like an open airwave and he could say whatever he wanted to say. Yeah. I got to <laughs> yeah. get out of that. So That's kind of what Sawyer does too. He says whatever he wants to say as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And someone put him on YouTube and he kind of took off. So. Yeah. So like the idea for Sawyer and his character and him being on the radio like that, was that something you were inspired by with real life or just an idea you thought up or yeah i'm trying to think where he started initially um i think he, he was um yeah, um let's see i mean I, I definitely have some flamboyant family members who, who you know like little pieces of them here and there might be in sawyer but um mm-hmm. maybe the walter goggins character justified a little bit you know when when boyd went on his like preacher mode you know that was a lot of fun <laughs> um but you know i think it, it was mostly uh, you know it's one of those i think you know most characters like it'll be inspired by some real life thing but then it just becomes its own its own thing so yeah. something else yeah kind of develops some, some something different yeah so have you already you were talking about earlier have you already written book two all the way or something you're still working on yeah yeah book two is done i've, I've just sent a copy editor to you know do the cleanup proofreading stuff um and i've got i've started on the third one i've got it kind of outlined in my head and piddled around with first couple chapters is that it going to be a trilogy or is it going to be more than no my plan is to end it with three yeah okay okay got it nick spooky noodles he says gotta go it was nice seeing y'all again sorry i have to leave so soon nice meeting you russell see you nick nick's got a lot of books out he does with um the other two books are they also going to be with Shotgun Honey, or you're not sure yet, or don't, so? I'm, I would hope so. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. no, don't know for certain. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking to Ron about book two. So we'll we'll put in a word for you. All right, I'll email him. Twist his arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those that don't know, we did a, a written interview with Ron that's out now exclusively on our website, and the Moonshine Messiah was mentioned during the interview as well, uh, talking about the cover and stuff. So I, I really like the cover. So did you have much input on what you wanted on the cover or was that all completely Ron's idea or how did the cover come about? 
Um, Ron asked me for ideas and, and you know, I told him that I, I really didn't have, um, I'm not a, a design person at all. You know, mm-hmm. I, I told him that I was thinking about marketing it as, as a West Virginia book and, you know, talking to making a mountaineer mystery. And so I think mm-hmm. I had the idea of maybe making, you know, using blue and gold as the colors. <laughs> for, yeah. I yeah. I didn't even put that together until right now. The yeah. Blue and gold is the West Virginia colors. Yeah. So, um, that, that was probably my main uh, contribution it? there. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. Well, I, I'm I'm thinking of the uh, West Virginia college football team, and then more like black and gold, or is that just a blue? I just don't know about. It's like dark blue, or yeah, it's yeah. I mean, they actually their colors were based off uh, Michigan. You know, when um, Jay's when, favorite football you know, team of all time. Yeah, so um, and and I don't know when that started, but yeah, no, it's blue, blue and gold are their official colors. No wonder I hate them too. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, let me tell you, uh, as West Virginia fans, we really hate Michigan because they they love to steal our coaches. You know, they took John Beeline, they yeah. took Rich I mean, but, Yeah. The, the good thing is, I mean, it, it, Ohio would, you know, if you look at a map, Ohio would slide into West Virginia if it wasn't for the fact that Michigan sucks. So <laughs> we'll, we'll, let's, let's go on. Let's carry on. So, yeah. <laughs> James Fetchel wants to see the cover. Do you have a copy of the, the book to hold up? Yeah. There you go. I see right over there. on there. Yeah. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's it's simple in a good way. It's, a little, yeah. it's very clean looking too. I, and I love the mason jar on there. Yeah. Now, you know, I love like, you know, the whole like Pulp Fiction kind of era books. And I, I think a lot of the stuff Ron does has that, that kind of vibe to it, which is really cool. It is. Holly says it's an amazing cover. It is. It's one of my favorite covers I've seen Ron put out. And he puts yeah. out pretty good work too. Yeah, absolutely. So, did Ron's you tell him you wanted to... these covers? He's he's been down these covers all over. Right? He has. Did you want the the mason jar specifically on there, or was that Ron's idea? Um, you know, I I think we we may have gone back and forth on that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but I just had like some conceptual ideas, but no real like visual stuff. That was all, that was all completely Ron. And you know, his first pitch, I was like, I love it. You know, I, I had no suggested changes at all so. but it's fitting i mean because we were talking off the air brad and i there's uh was it a travel channel or discovery channel i don't know yeah. there are a few, there used to be some shows. reality show yeah some reality shows that uh they would follow moonshiners throughout the mountains and stuff you know i don't mm. know if you know, remember those but i mean they're telling you right there how to make moonshine and everything so of course you got to have the, the mason jar that just goes hand in hand with, yeah. with the title and everything so So yeah. do you know any, you said you weren't a moonshiner, but have you ever attempted to do it or ever wanted to do it? The lawyer I, to be incriminating. That's right. Yeah. Allegedly. No, uh, um, no, I, I've, I've never attempted to do it, but um, yeah, I, I did used to, to enjoy it. I'm, I'm a retired drinker now, so I'm retired I, don't, drinker. I don't partake anymore. I'm a drinker emeritus. I like to say. So. Is moonshine a big thing in West Virginia? Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's like anywhere else, you know, mm-hmm. beer, spirits, whatever, you know, the mass market stuff is, is bigger than that. But, um, yeah, there's certainly, you know, a lot of people break out their family moonshine, you know, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's bigger there in Virginia and other places in Appalachia than you know, the rest of the rest yeah. of the world. So my parents used to live, uh, in, um, Smith mountain Lake, Virginia and uh, Franklin County, which was known as like the wettest County in america you know it was like moonshine capital of the world 
James, are you a Steelers fan? James wants to know if you're a Steelers fan. Uh, uh, I am a Steelers fan. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, we always say Pittsburgh is the biggest city in West Virginia. You know, they just, they just don't know it. <laughs> so do you want to give people a little taste of the book, do a little reading? Yeah. You want to do, re- yeah, do reading first? You want to do a game break? You want to do reading first? We need to probably do reading. It's up to you. Guys. Uh, whatever, uh, whatever. whatever. However y'all want to do it. It's fine with me. We do the reading real quick. Give people a taste. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'll read the first chapter to you. And if this starts to feel long, I'll just cut off. It's it's about six pages. So, um, All right. I, w- I won't do any intro. I'll just kind of go into it. They started coming a week ago, roaring into Jasper Creek like some kind of satanic cavalry charge, dressed in black leather with metal spikes and emblems of skulls and serpents and eagles and flame. More bikers have come every day since then pouring relentlessly into the sleepy Appalachian town, and no one knew why. Sheriff Mary Beth Kane had staked them out overnight at the KOA campground where they were living like hippies in tent cities, passing copious amounts of hooch around the campfires. The backs of their jackets said they were from industrial towns, places like Detroit, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, Sheboygan, and Youngstown. Such a gathering might make sense in Sturgis or Daytona or some other biker pilgrimage destination. But Jasper County was in southern West Virginia, the ass end of the state, surrounded by nothing but worked out coal fields and hollers so deep you had to lie on your back to see the sun. Not exactly a tourist magnet. Fuckers were up to no good. Mary Beth could feel it. By the way, F-bombs are allowed on this show. Is that right? Okay. We'll make that lady proud that gave you the Thank, right. That's right. Thanks for asking after you dropped the F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Afterwards. All right. Yeah, it's completely um, good. It's better to get you know forgiveness and permission. Okay. Um, at 7.30 that morning, she spotted the first to rise. One of the old bikers walking around the KOA bathhouse. With binoculars, she watched him as he readied for an early morning ride, revved his engine, and took off serpentining through the campground. When he made a left under the road that led up to Highway 460, Mary Beth spotted something strapped to his back that gave her a chill. A long gun. She was pretty sure it was an AR-15, a military-style semi-automatic rifle that had become the weapon of choice for mass shooters. Mary Beth decided to follow. Her car was unmarked, a black Camaro convertible she considered the greatest perk of her office, but she knew she'd soon be made for a cop regardless. For days, she had tailgated various bands of these guys, practically forcing them over the speed limit as a pretext to pull them over. But so far, she hadn't found anything other than bad hygiene and good manners. The bikers always being all, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and I'll be sure to watch my speed, ma'am, before getting off with a warning. The man she followed now was heavy set wore dirty jeans and a puffy black coat without insignia. Long hair and beard were both bushy and gray, an outlaw Santa Claus in polarized shades. His motorcycle was a forest green Dynaglide, a comfort bike, and he was taking her nice and easy, cruising low and slow through town. He knows he's being followed. Mary Beth was sure. Thought maybe he was trying to wait her out, see if she got bored enough to move on. But Mary Beth stayed the course for nearly an hour. A low-speed, sirenless chase, like O.J.'s white Bronco minus the hoopla, until she realized he was heading out of Jasper County into McRae. Why in the hell, she said aloud. This was the third or fourth time she'd followed a group of bikers out there, a place nobody in the right mind wanted to go, least of all Mary Beth. She'd grown up in that former coal mecca that was now on its last legs, where only the most stubborn of locals remained, by subsisting on welfare and disability scams and all manner of backwoods, black market wheelings and dealings. The first time a group let her down those windy roads, she assumed they were just trying to take her out of her jur- jurisdiction, 
Little did they know that McCray County's population had dwindled to the point it was being annexed into Jasper. Her department was already getting calls for assistance with its near-daily overdoses. And all too soon, the entirety of McCray's dilapidated, drug-infested enclaves would officially be under Mary Beth's authority. Screw this. Mary Beth hadn't had her coffee yet and wasn't in the mood for another trip through there. She flipped on the party lights, flanking her rearview mirror, and let the siren wail. The motorcycle moved to the side of the road. This was the first time Mary Beth had pulled over one of these guys alone. Policy mandated she use backup in such a situation, armed suspect and no exigent circumstances. But she was the sheriff, goddammit, and she was getting impatient. She loose, used her car's loudspeaker to issue a command. Hands in the air, as high as you can reach. The biker did as he was told, his back to her with the weapon of war laid across it at an angle. Mary Beth dropped the mic, lowered her window, and opened the driver's side door, swinging it out like a shield. She pulled her Glock 22 and trained it on the back of the biker's head. Take three steps towards me, she shouted, and do it slow. The biker dismounted awkwardly. He pivoted around to face her and took three slow, exaggerated steps, like a pirate walking the plank. On your knees. The heavy man wobbled, had difficulty dropping to his knees, and lowered a hand to steady himself. Hands in the air. Now, motherfucker, I'll blow your head off. Easy, man. Yes, Jesus, God. The man reached for the sky like a Pentecostal at an altar call. I'm complying here. You'll have no problems for me. Mary Beth's heart battered her ribcage as she thought about that AR-15. There was a bump stock on that thing. He could turn her car into Swiss cheese in about three seconds. Good. Mary Beth tried to slow her breathing. You follow my commands and we'll get along just fine. Understand? Yes, ma'am. Mary Beth swallowed hard. Okay, slowly. And I mean molasses in January slow. I want you to lie down on your stomach with your arms out in front of you, just like you got them now. Again, the man complied. Once he was prone, Mary Beth approached. She placed her size seven boot on his lower back and tapped the barrel of her gun against his helmet. You hear that? Yes, ma'am. That's my gun. I'm going to pull this rifle off your back. If you make any sudden moves, I'm going to use my gun to fire a bullet through your spinal cord. We clear? Crystal. Mary Beth seized the rifle with her left hand. She pulled it straight up from the man's back and wriggled the strap out from under him. Good. Mary Beth took a step. Do you have any other weapons on you? No, ma'am. Mary Beth backed away ten paces and laid the rifle on the grass out of reach, just as a station wagon of Galkers passed by. Stay put, she said. Mary Beth approached carefully and frisked the man to ensure he truly had no other weapons. While he lay by the roadside, she also did a quick inspection of his saddlebags, confirming there were no other weapons or contraband. The only thing of note she found was the man's ID and a permit for the gun. Okay, you can sit up. The man rolled onto his back and propped himself on an elbow before eventually getting upright. Want to tell me what you're doing, Mary Beth said. Just wondering and wondering. The man's odd response was something Mary Beth had heard before and was beginning to recognize as some kind of code. Maybe a biker way of saying fuck you to the cops. The way folks around Jasper said bless your heart when they were too polite to tell you to go to hell. I mean, what's with the rifle, she asked. It's just for protection. Protection? The rifle had a 16-inch barreled SP-1 carbine with a collapsible buttstock and a high-capacity magazine. It was what police departments with budgets far greater than Mary Best issued to their SWAT teams. You expecting a zombie apocalypse? You can never be too careful, ma'am. Mary Beth gave him an ugly look. Then she made him wait there, sitting in the dirt while she ran a check to make sure he didn't have any outstanding warrants, or better yet, felonies. But to her disappointment, his record came back clean. I was told West Virginia was an open carry state, the man said when she returned his ID. Uh-huh, yeah, that's right. Can I ask why you pulled me over then? 
I don't think I was speeding. Mary Beth maintained a bland expression. I pulled you over for that busted taillight. The biker removed his sunglasses, revealing white, unburned circles on an otherwise ruddy face. I don't have a busted taillight. Mary Beth bent over so they were eye to eye. Want to keep it that way? The biker nodded. He remained compliant while Mary Beth retrieved a tape measure from her car. She spent the last couple of days researching every conceivable motorcycle regulation she could find, dreaming up new ways to harass these guys into moving on. Now she took her time inspecting the Harley, eventually coming up with citations for a seat that was too low, handlebars too high, and the lack of a passenger handhold. Y'all don't really want to keep hanging around this little hillbilly old town, do you? She asked as she handed over the ticket. Can't be any fun getting harassed by the local fuzz every day. It's a beautiful part of the country, the man said, especially this time of year with all the leaves changing colors. Mary Beth frowned. She pulled back the citation. You know, I'm not sure I measured right. Think maybe I might need to start all over. Maybe disassemble a few things while I'm at it. The man gave her a shitting grin, a mischievous glint in his eye. Don't mind at all, ma'am. Take all the time you need. That's when Mary Beth finally got it. Flaunting the AR-15, the slow-going drive, and patient compliance, no matter how ornery she got, he wanted her there, wasting her time, not watching what all the others were doing. He was a diversion. That's chapter one. Just wandering and wandering. That's right. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So like some of the, some of the, I guess, slang like that, the wandering and wandering, is that something you made up or is that something you did research on for, you know, real codes that the bikers and different gangs use and stuff or? No, it's just totally made up. <laughs> totally made up. <laughs> yeah. he, he had conversations with the Hells Angels. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Like, he actually was undercover in their <laughs> group for a while. Right. Like Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. 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 Um, now, I do like just enough research so it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> just enough, right? That yeah. Does. So kind of like the um, like the hillbilly, like mob families and stuff, the crime syndicates, is that something you were interested in before or something you kind of found along the way doing work for the book? Or uh, Yeah, I, I would say with most things, I just like I'll have an idea and I'll do just enough research that I, I can like <laughs> put a little bit of authenticity to it. But yeah. Uh -huh. um, yeah, I think maybe it was Stephen King and one of his books of writing. It was like, you know, don't let the research get in the way of the story. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, to me, it's like I do just enough research to keep the story going. Nice. You want to do a little little game real quick? Sure. Do some a lightning round. We've done okay. this for a long, long time. All right. This was like our first game to recreate. Was this the first game we created? It was the very first game we played with Megan, yeah. Yeah, okay. the guinea the person. guinea pig game. <laughs> right. I feel so nervous what? now. I gotta. No, it, it's simple. So we'll we'll do sixty seconds on the yeah, clock. Do, do some and stretching just, and stuff. Right. Get ready for it. <laughs> and I'll ask you some simple questions, and you as you know, first thing pops to your head, you know, what your answer will be. Okay. Oh All wait, right. I need to get a. a am I doing a timer? Yeah. Well, See, we got I'm, player I'm, intro. I'm, you're you're rusty, Jay. Okay? You're rusty. Yeah, I am. We haven't done this for for a while play some lightning round okay. i don't know why that that cracks me up every time yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's where all our budget for the show goes to you know we can't <laughs> afford the paid stream yard to take that stupid duck logo off the corner but we can <laughs> okay all right so just rapid seconds, fire right? so as quick yeah as quick as you can answer them okay all right ready jay and go what would your weapon of choice be in the zombie apocalypse AR-15. Nice. What's your favorite TV show of all time? 
Uh, he lost. What's the worst food you've ever eaten? Mm, beets. Beets. <laughs> your, your favorite holiday? Uh, St. Patty's Day. Okay. A celebrity crush? Hmm. So, uh, Salma Hayek. Okay. Favorite band? Band. Uh, Jack Johnson. Dream vacation spot? Hawaii. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, to fly. Fly. Favorite food? Food. Uh, chili. You have to pick one. The Pittsburgh Five Steelers seconds. or the West Virginia uh, Mountaineers? West Virginia Football Mountaineers. Teams. No, no yeah, question. 60. Cats or dogs? You dogs. Like cats or dogs better. Dogs. Dog guy. There you go, Jay. You all are best friends now. He hates Michigan. You hate Michigan. He That's likes dogs. Right. You like dolls. <laughs> Is that is that tough to pick uh, the Mountaineers over Pittsburgh or not? No, no, that, that that's very easy. Yeah, in fact, when <laughs> you know, once I um, got married, I had to kind of pick between college football and NFL because for some reason my wife didn't think it was acceptable to spend all weekend just watching football, and so awesome. I, I made a clear choice for college football. <laughs> you know, twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah I, I don't Monday night football, Thursday yeah. night football, Saturday <laughs> football, Sunday football. I mean, yeah. here in Columbus, the Buckeyes obviously. So I don't get to watch as much Sunday NFL football because Saturdays are taken up, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess yeah. I got lucky. I get to watch UK football and then I watch Bengals on the Sundays. Yeah. I, I, I pretty much just kind of pick the NFL up in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. Kind of just loosely keep up with it during the year these days. Yeah. With the so with the book, did you start out to have it be a trilogy? Was that the idea from the beginning, or did it just you finish this? Was like okay, I think I can take this further and start diving into book two. Um, so yeah, when I wrote the first book, um, uh, I, I didn't have a plan to to make it a series. You know, I think I left the ending ambiguous enough that maybe you could if you wanted to, mm-hmm. but I wanted it to be just sort of its own thing. Um, and that the first agent I had was like, you should make it a series, go ahead and write a book too. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I already kind of had that. And then um, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with it um, for years, for for a while, you know, even if the first two books got published, um, you know, I, I toyed around with the idea of trying to make it like a, like a Harry Bosch kind of series that just goes on and on forever or something. But um, just pretty recently, I kind of, I think I finally came up with what I thought the third book should be. And it seemed mm-hmm. like the like kind of the perfect ending to me. So, um, yeah, I, I think three is where it would stop. So, do you have the ending already in mind of how you want it to end? Yeah, I I, pretty, I have to know the ending before I start writing. Yeah, okay. I'm not the like, whole series. You you have the ending for the whole series done. Now yeah. I do. Yeah, but okay. like when I start a book, like I don't, I'm not an outliner, but I mm-hmm. I kind of know like a few milestones. You know, like. I always know the ending. I usually know like what the twist is going to be there in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. I don't always know the beginning, but I usually kind of know the beginning and that's about it. And then I just like how I get from like point A to B to C, you know, I sort of figure out as I go. So do you ever write out of order then or do you still just. I have to write in order. Yeah. Okay. I just start, I start in chapter one and I'm like, I use kind of like um, I've heard Michael Connolly call it the battering ram method. You know, we're like, 
you write whatever. And then the next day you go back and you start, you read what you wrote the day before and rewrite. And that kind of gets you some momentum. Mm -hmm. Keep going mm -hmm. into the next, next chapter. Yeah. So do you take the same approach with short stories? Do you know the ending of those as well? Or is it a completely different approach for your short stories? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think short stories, uh, you know, short stories, like a lot of times it's just, it's just a scene or it's just a mood or, I have a hard time with short stories. It, it's, it's amazing to me that I've, I've had success with them because I, I just feel like I, I think in very complicated plots that don't really translate well to short stories. So I, I always uh -huh. have a tough time paring those down. Um, Why? Just because you have less time to get to the point or. Well, cause I think you can only accomplish so much in a short story. You know, you can only have so many characters, you can only have so many little plot points and things. And so it's just, mm -hmm. it's kind of tough for me. Like I don't, I'm not a literary fiction person at all. Like I don't, that makes no sense to me. I don't, you know, so like the people can write something where it's just like a mood or a, a scene. Like I, I just don't get that. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I can, I tend to think in like more epic sort of plot twisty kind of scenarios. And that's just hard to do in short stories. Yeah. Cause, cause short stories can be very limiting. You know, you have, you know, 5,000 word count or whatever, and it has to match this certain theme for this certain book. So, I can see where they are. It would be almost kind of stifling in a way to your, a person's creativity. Yeah. As opposed to a novel, you can do whatever you want to with it. Yeah. Yeah. You got, you got to know when to start wrapping things up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, Oh shoot, this was a short story, but I'm 75 pages into it. So right. there was that <laughs> yeah. whole issue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, we joke. There's a, a guy in my writer's group, uh, Grant Heatherton, who's, he's been writing, it was a short story and then it was going to be a novella, you know, like it just keeps expanding just and expanding. Kept evolving. Yeah. evolving. It's going to be like Game of Thrones by the time he's done. Yeah. <laughs> you, so you, you got into a writing group. So when, when, when did writing become a thing for you before your, your day job being an attorney or like during it or. So I, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, I've major, I was an English major at WVU and I'm iron yeah. creative writing. Um, but I also knew that I didn't want to be a starving writer. And so I, you know, I did law school instead of like the MFA mm -hmm. and I really got into being a lawyer. I mean, I was very, very focused on it and kind of obsessed with it for a long time, but it just, it was such a stressful life, especially the, the kind of lawyer I was before mm -hmm. um, that at, at one point I just sort of needed that escapism, you know, of the writing. Right. And, um, it was something, you know, like I told myself, you know, by the time I'm 30, I'll have a, a published book. And at like 33, I still hadn't even like put a word down. Um, and then, um, you know, when uh, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant with our second child, I just told myself, I was like, you know, if I don't write a book before this baby's born, life is just going to get in the way <laughs> and I'm, I'm just not going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and so um, I didn't want to be one of those people who's like, I'll do it when I retire. And then like, yeah you know, you start and realize, Oh wait, it takes like 20 years to get good at this. You know? But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, when we found out that uh, my wife was pregnant for the second time, I just got out my calendar and count out a hundred days. It was like, I'm going to get up four 30 every morning and write a thousand words. Oh. And, you know, I, I did it. And at the end of that, I had a novel, which was terrible. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> you know, but I, I caught the bug, you know, like I was, I was hooked at that point. Uh -huh. So, and I knew I could do it. It didn't, it wasn't like a pipe dream, you know, anymore. It seemed like something that I could actually do. And so I've been at it for like 13 years now doing that. Nice. Yeah. But that novel, that first novel that just was bad. I was kind of like breaking the seal for you. I was just kind of like, you know, 
getting that out of the way. And it was just all uphill from there, you know? Yeah. So. But, and I, I'd read somewhere that like, you have to kind of write three books to figure out how to do it. So mm -hmm. I pretty much wrote the same book like three times, you know, trying, <laughs> still trying to get that one done until I finally gave up on it. And that's when I, I wrote Moonshine Messiah. It's the next one. And I, I've written several others, you know, since then. Yeah. So that, that first book, have you gone back and cannibalized anything from it and picked it apart to add to other things or? Um, I, I tried. So the first one was like a, a religious slash legal thriller. I was trying to do mm -hmm. like a John Grisham, Dan Brown mashup sort of thing. Uh, and um, I, I tried to write another book that used a lot of the, the religious kind of research that I had done in that one. And it's another legal thriller, a totally different plot. Was and it was uh, based on the Shroud of Turin's. It was called the Shroud, uh -huh. and it's one like all of my writers' friends thought like it was the best of my stuff they'd seen. But I could get like zero interest from agents. Everyone's like, religious thrillers just can't sell. Yeah. And and it's funny like the one of the agents I had that I parted ways with told me that like wouldn't even look at like religious thrillers can't sell. And then I just noticed like six months ago like she sold a religious thriller. So. <laughs> You got a question like who are they working for at the time you know so yeah. it's just so with yeah. them also wanting you to write a sequel do like uh do series i guess sell better than just standalones i mean i've heard that um you know once once you have a series you know like you sell more copies of that first book once you got the second book out and so yeah mm -hmm. i think it probably does help some but i mean i think for for most everyone who's not you know stephen king or john grisham yeah book sales are tough right so there's a lot of a lot of competition out there james patterson's yeah. got so many ideas he doesn't even write his own books anymore. i was gonna yeah. say i mean they're just selling them based on the name itself so yeah yeah it's got his name on there and it's got the real author's name at the bottom of it <laughs> they're all their name's always a lot smaller than his is though is that how it is now with him yeah he, uh, he, he does write writers he does like really detailed outlines though like he does like a 50 page kind of outline like like i think he does come with a lot of the story but yeah, I think he gives him like the plot points and says, "You, you go write this." Yeah. He's, he's got too many ideas to sit down and write a book. He's done infomercials before for his books. Like I'm up at crazy hours, so like three thirty, it'll be just a weird commercial for the new James Patterson. I mean, know, book, and it's he still is listed on there as the author, but other people are writing it. Yeah, because he did one recently with Bill Clinton, mm -hmm. had both their names on there, but neither one of them wrote that book. It was yeah, there's a the third else. person. Like I know. Um, uh, Brendan Du Bois writes some with him. Who's a good? He's a really good writer, you know. So I mean, he gets he gets good people, you know, to do to do the hard hard lifting there, the writing stuff. So. Like when he first started, he wrote books like Along Came the Spider. I think is his debut, and he yeah. wrote that one. But he got so popular and has so many ideas, he just doesn't have time to actually yeah. sit down and write the book himself. I mean, I knew, he gets a bad rap from a lot of people, but he obviously has some serious insight into what what works you know i mean he's at least what at least what sells because yeah. everyone's buying his books yeah and anytime i go to a library sale or used bookstore they have just shelves and shelves and shelves of james maybe that's a bad thing i was gonna <laughs> say if you're at a used bookstore that, that might not be very yeah. well so and i've really i think i've read like one of his I, I it wasn't so much my thing but several people who um i i've met who just are not like readers at all love his mm -hmm. stuff and so i mean i always think that's Sometimes, um, you know, we talk about this with our kids. My wife gets upset sometimes that um, our daughter, especially that like she's not reading like more difficult texts and things. And like, it's supposed yeah. to be fun. You know, reading is yeah. supposed to be like binge watching Netflix, you know, it's supposed to be engaging. And so 
I don't, mm-hmm. you know, as long as she wants to read Dog Man, have at it. You know, that's yeah. how my youngest is. I'm like, like let's get these chapter books. She's nine. Like let's mm-hmm. get these chapter books, you know, and we'll, we'll read them, do reports, you know, review them. She's reading like the dire was it um, Diary of a Wimpy Kid? Kid? Yeah, those yeah. things. I'm like, don't you want to read like a chapter book or something? You know, <laughs> these are these are fun. I'm like, okay, as long as you're reading them, I'm fine with it. So, yeah. Definitely don't stifle them because that's what happened with me. Kind of like I was really into reading in elementary school and then middle school. We had to start doing like book reports and they would mm-hmm. assign you reading. It was like, I don't like reading anymore. This sucks. I hate it. Yeah. And that just completely turned me off of reading until my late 20s when I got back into it again. Just it sucked all the fun out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I really, you know, as a writer, I really don't want my stuff to feel like homework. You know, like like I mm-hmm. want people to actually want to read read it. That's my my hope. So. Yeah. I remember reading uh, Huckleberry Finn in in third grade. And I don't think I read much after that <laughs> because it was required to read, you know. And I did yeah. that for, for entertainment. I'm like, then it was like required to read all this. Yeah, yeah. it really kind of turns you off a, a little bit, I think. So, yeah. From eighth grade to freshman year, over the summer, our summer homework was to read Great Expectations for the summertime. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. That sounds horrible. So, I, I would say that I, I like Dickens stuff. I mean, it, it's hard, you know, because of the, the time period and the vernacular and everything. But I think the great thing about his is he wrote in a serialized fashion. Like he'd send out a chapter and that's all you get for, you know, a week or a month or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I always, I use cliffhangers. I know some people think they're cheesy, but I always kind of like that. You know, like I kind of grew up like the old, like Adam West Batman episodes where it always ends like, you know, on the cliffhanger. And, and <laughs> Flash, you know, Gordon, like Flash Gordon and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Where the dynamic duo survive? Right. Yeah. Find out next Tune in week. Next week. Same yeah. bat yeah. channel, same bat yeah. time. That's right. See, I like that though because I'm a slow reader and I can get distracted really easily. Like picking up my phone, or I usually read while I'm at work, so I have to answer the phone at work or answer an email. So the cliffhanger chapter is like, okay, I know. <laughs> cliffhanger chapters made me want to, okay, let's continue. Let's get to the next chapter. Mm-hmm. That and short chapters are my two things that keep my interest. I can love the story. I've said this before, but like the book can be exactly the same. Just change the length of the chapters and the longer chapters yeah. will just like, Oh, this is just so dragging. But if it's yeah. short, I just feel like I fly through it so much. I don't know why that is. It's instead yeah. of 10 chapters, make it like 30 chapters. You're like, yeah. man, I'm flying. I'm getting lost. Right. Same. Length. I, that's that's just... so weird to me to think it's just, you're just changing the length of the chapters and it can just feel so much faster paced than the yeah, other way around. It's just not as intimidating. You know, if you're like, Oh, just six yeah. pages, I can read this. You know, like I love um, Pat Conroy. Like I think he's he's one of the greatest writers ever. But I would, mm-hmm. you know, like every time I read his stuff, like you know, if he had an editor who would just forced him to cut a hundred pages out of this thing, like <laughs> yeah, you know, it would have been such a masterpiece. Like if a chapter is like thirty pages, I see myself flipping ahead. Okay, how many more pages left? So I can take a break. But with yeah, the short chapters, right. I don't. I don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, there, I, there, there's some, you know, that don't do chapter breaks. You gotta, you gotta stop it. Like. The, you know, the squiggle line in the middle break, of the yeah, page. page yeah. <laughs> Cormac McCarthy, I think, is kind of like that. There's not a lot of chapters. Just Yeah, or even punctuation. With yeah. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The no quotes really threw me off the first time I read Blood Meridian. I was like, I don't know who's talking or what, who's saying what. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, the road. I'm like, what's what's going on here? I had a tough time with that. And, you know, I love um, No Country for Old Men. And everyone who's like a Cormac McCarthy fan, like, ah, you know, like that's the, you know, they look down on that one. And, but, um, oh really? Why? Why do they look down on it for? Just 
I don't know. I, you know, I'm not a, a huge Cormac McCarthy person, but every time I get into a conversation with Cormac McCarthy fans about that, they're, they love blood Meridian. They love the road. And those were a little inaccessible to me. Like I, I think I got about halfway through both of those, but no country for old men. I mean, I, I chew through that thing in a weekend. So. Mm. That one's almost more kind of thrillerish. Yeah. If you could say that in a way. I liked Blood Meridian. I'll admit a lot of it went over my head. I didn't know what was going on, but I mm-hmm. enjoyed what I understood. <laughs> James yeah, has a, a question. Go ahead. I was—I remember Blood Meridian just wondering, like, how is there anyone still alive in the Southwest? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just massacring everybody, and then yeah. the judge is stomping around. <laughs> James has a question for you. Do you have a do you have top five favorite authors or a list of your favorite authors? Sure. Um, so Elmore Leonard would be at the top. Um, uh, if I have to limit to five, let's see. Current writers, I love Michael Connolly. Um, uh, I like uh, Karen Slaughter. It's really good. Okay. Um, uh, Gillian Flynn, I think it's great. Um, Ace Atkins. So is that is that five? That's right. You, you keep going though. Like you yeah. can. Yeah. Reading? Oh yeah. James um, doesn't make the rolls. You can do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and um, I like legal thrillers. So I I love Scott Turow, John Grisham. Um, okay. And, uh, and I love Michael. I mentioned Michael Connolly already, but his legal thrillers are, I think, are some of the best. The Mickey Haller series. Yeah. Is um, Elmore Litter, did he do 40 Lashes Less One? Is that his book? Is that I don't know else? that one. I read that sure. one. I have to look it up. I read that one because remember Tarantino said he wanted to adapt it, so I wanted to read it. I didn't, Tarantino's like a big Elmore Leonard fan. In fact, I think I first learned of Elmore Leonard from being a Quentin Tarantino fan and then started reading okay. his books. Are you inspired by any other media, like movies or anything, besides you know just the authors and whatnot? Um, I would say you know Quentin Tarantino to some extent. I think just to the the extent I try to combine like crime fiction with some dark humor. I think mm-hmm. some of my sensibilities came from that era. Well, what Not was me. that book, Brad? Real quick. 40, 40 lashes less one. Yeah, nineteen seventy two. He wrote it. I haven't read that one. I need to check that one out. Remember they were like they kind of went to like a Mexican prison or something. I don't remember too much about it, but it was pretty good. I, I would definitely read more of his stuff. Is that a, a Western? You know, because I haven't read many of his Western era. Yeah, but... it's more Western. Yeah, yeah. Other than like Three Ten to Yuma. Oh, did he write that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a short story. Um, okay. Because I've seen, mm-hmm. at least two of the adaptations. I'm sure there's a bunch more movies, mm-hmm. but. I'm, seen both yeah, of those i really enjoyed yeah because he had like a whole career you know as like a western writer and then switched to crime fiction and i've i've pretty much devoured all of his crime fiction stuff but I, i'd like to read more of his his westerns you ever see yourself think, writing anything aside from uh the crime world or anything just trying uh, to see if you can get it together any horror or space erotica or anything like that <laughs> probably not horror i don't i don't think i've got one of those in me um but maybe uh, space erotica Jay. maybe space maybe, erotica. maybe yeah um i've written a legal thriller that my fourth agent four times the charm is, is uh, <laughs> pitching for me right now um i've got i've had this idea for sort of this like light sci-fi book that i've been like every time okay. i'm in between projects i go back to and I, you know i've got like the first quarter of it done um and I don't know if I can pull off a sci-fi, but um, 
that's probably the, the biggest I, I would try to venture out. I think another anybody could do sci-fi. Just, just so, <laughs> you know, Jay doesn't like sci-fi stuff. Those, those things get released a thousand different ones a week. Anybody could do those. Yeah. Hush, Jay. Hush. <laughs> so with your um, with your legal thriller, did you find that easier to write or harder to write since you work in the legal field? It was much easier to write. Yeah, was I mean, it? It, like it was almost like too easy. Like it felt like cheating. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did it ever feel like you were just like regurgitating a legal manual or anything like a little bit out there? Yeah. That's one of the things with editing. I have to go and like, you know, cut, cut down some of the legal explanations some of the, some of the stuff. Jargon and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, I think part of it for whatever reason, people do like to read about work, you know, like they like to learn about people's jobs. And so mm -hmm. I made it like a little bit of a procedural. So you get like a little bit like the inside stuff, but right. you know, you can't bore people to death either. So yeah, I've got to, kind of cut down on some of those things. I don't know what kind of law you practice, but we were like, Oh no, that's a real case I've worked on. Let's not, let's not add that in there. Let's, <laughs> let's switch it up a little bit. Did you ever run into that at all? Well, th this one is, uh, so it's inspired by a real case I had, but totally okay. fictionalized. So yeah, you, you, you want to make sure it's, you're not just telling somebody's you know real story. Like, you change the uh, name and it rhymes with the original. You're right. One, <laughs> yeah. one letter. Yeah. Jason, his name's Mason now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. No, but it's more like, you know, you have like a scenario uh -huh. that, that you borrow, but the, the characters are totally different than, than the real people. Yeah. Was it, I would say, cause we, uh, CW Blackwell, cause he was like a crime analyst or something. So we were asking him like, did you get, like bored with writing crime stuff since that's your day job. So were you the same way with the the legal procedure or was it like, no, this is really great. Cause you say you wrote it pretty fa fast and it was easy. So, you know, I've mostly, I've been a civil lawyer for the most part and I've just dabbled in criminal cases. Um, mainly if our firm had something that was going to trial and it was like a younger attorney who was overwhelmed, mm -hmm. I, I got trial experience, even though it's civil trial experience. So I would step in, to like help try the case. And so I've just done a, you know, a couple of criminal cases. So it's been fun, you know, cause I, I write, I've been writing about the criminal stuff, which is not, you know, really a world that I've lived in much. Okay. And when I have been there, I've been sort of like the fish out of water. So I think I can sort of like tell like the, you know, the, the newbie experience, you know, being thrown into this, this world. So, so was it like rehashing your day job on the paper again? So, something yeah, refreshing some and different. Yeah. Some of it definitely is. And, you know, there's always sort of like that, therapeutic thing of like, you know, you, you take this scenario that was very scary in real life or frustrating in real life. And all of a sudden you're in, you know, you're in control of it as the writer and can make yeah. it. Yeah. I would just change it. Yeah. Totally change it. I, I would, I, if I'm in control of it, if I was a, like a lawyer and I'm writing about legal stuff, I would just make something totally off the wall, you know, start off with that legal part of it to rope in the, the reader and it just, go out to left field somewhere, you know, just make it really weird and crazy just to it'd be like freedom. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. And you know, in, in the written world, you can always come up with that perfect witty retort, you know, that you couldn't yeah. think of in the moment. So. Yeah. It'd be like the show and the shows are like, man, I wish I would have asked this. I wish I would have right. said that. And yeah. I can't go back and do it over. So in the book world, you can make them say the perfect thing at the perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, one of the, like the biggest stresses for me as a trial lawyer, it's always been like, is the witness going to show up, you know, like getting the person there on time and like all these things that you don't have to worry about at all when you're just writing, you know, the court, yeah. everybody, you know, timing works out just perfect. <laughs> yeah.
James asked a question a bit ago. Do you have a favorite uh, Quentin Tarantino scene from a movie? All right, let me. That's think. that's a loaded question. Yeah, that, that, that is a loaded Goodness question. Gracious. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the first ones I think about are like the ear scene. And I was going to <laughs> I was thinking the exact same one. Yeah. The ear scene. That's but, that's certainly the one that pops up, or you know, like the needle in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. But I would say actually, my favorite is just the back and forth between. Samuel Jackson and um, John Travolta's characters, you know, like just, uh, I Royale love just like, yeah, just riding Royale the car talking. Yeah. Absolutely. Accidentally blow someone's brains out. That movie turns 30 <laughs> next year, by the way. Wow. Does it? Yeah. I like the, yeah. the bad motherfucker wallet scene at the end. Yeah, absolutely. One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you more, when you're writing, are, are you more wrapped up into your characters or you're more wrapped up into the actual plot for what's happening? I think I'm a plot first writer. Like okay. I, I kind of, I think I come up with the scenario and then I think about what kind of characters would work well with the theme or, or you know, the plot. So um, I, I, you know, I hope that I uh, have um, good characters, but yeah, I'm definitely plot is the thing that I think of first. Mm-hmm. James's is the basement scene in Inglorious Bastards. That's, That's a, a good, good scene. One. It's a very yeah. tense scene. Yeah, I love the just the speech when um, uh, uh, Brad Pitt's character first shows up. You know, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Auto Reigns. Yeah. yeah, I speak Italian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just watched. Uh, we we just watched uh, Pulp Fiction uh, the other day, last week sometime. I, I mean, I'd seen it. I'd seen it a hundred times, but it was on like Prime or something. My wife mm-hmm. never seen it. She watched it with me, and she's like, at the end of it. I don't understand what happened in this movie. I, I don't know what it's about. And I'm like, you got to understand what it was, you know, trying to explain it to her. It's pretty, pretty weird trying to explain mm-hmm. it to her. But she's also like four and a half, five years younger than me. So she didn't watch it when it first came out. Yeah. You know, and all the, the, the reasoning why things were happening in it. So it's like, if you don't get it, you're not going to get it. Don't worry about yeah. it. Not to de- derail too much, but real quick, my friend saw it when it came out in theaters and when they did the, the needle scene in the, in the chest that made him pass out in the movie theater. <laughs> really? Yeah, he just passed out. Went limp. Yeah. So I've never seen uh, needle. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen Kill Bill too in, in the theater, you know, where she's in she's buried alive. You know, uh-huh. like and, and the screen goes totally dark. You know, it's like the whole like theater's just holding their breath. You know, like yeah. you really feel like you're underground. I gotta rewatch those now. Maybe I would do that this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's ones I I keep. I'm waiting for my son to be old enough to to show those too, but he's not quite there yet. Yeah. I think when my son's old enough, he'll enjoy those. All the blood, and all the over the top crazy blood, yeah. ninja fight. I, I did let him watch Inglorious Bastards because he's really into like World War II stuff. And okay, it's one of I think that's one of the tamer uh, Tarantino ones in, in some ways. So. Did he but like yeah. that one? Because that can be slow at times. Did he stick with it all the way through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he loved it. He thought that was, he thought it was funny. Good. The only one I haven't watched yet. Um, what's the uh, one of the one of the westerns? Um, the Hateful Eight. Hateful yeah, Eight. that one. That one. I, I haven't yeah. had a chance to watch that one yet. Yeah, that that wasn't one of my favorites. No, I liked it. I like they were all in the cabin the whole time. It's it's good. It's a very good dialogue piece from him. Di- not, yeah. like, not a bunch yeah. of action and stuff. Yeah, and it's sort of like one of those like old old kind of mysteries too. You know, like it's mm-hmm. everybody's trapped in one room. You know, yeah. Like Who's the murderer in the room or whatever yeah. it is? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, 
So with this being your your debut novel, does when that comes out, is the feeling any different than getting like a, a short story accepted or anything like that? Is it completely different? Does it feel kind of the same? Um, I think it feels different. You know, um, being able to hold you know hold the book in your hand is is a mm-hmm. special thing. And, right. You know, obviously I've I've had short stories published and stuff where you have a book, but it's not it's not just you, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, I never did, you know, like book launch or events and things like that for short stories. So it's, it's definitely a different a different thing for me. Um, you know, I know there used to be an era where short stories were popular and sold. But to me, I view short stories mostly as like a training ground, you know, trying to learn your craft for novel writing. Mm-hmm. That's how I've tried to use it anyway. Aside from that uh, negative review, are you kind of <laughs> watching the reviews, following them to see to get wrapped up in those, or does it really? Not much. Matter? Yeah, I mean, it's some that's something years ago I would have obsessed over, but yeah. now I just kind of you know I'll glance just to see more of like I'm getting reviews and you know I'll, I'll I mean, look. a review you should be meaning somebody read it, right? Exactly. Except yeah. for that one negative one, you know, yeah. she read the first chapter or whatever, but. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm still like I'm very much tickled just to see that there's like people reading it who I don't know, you know, uh-huh. or like who are like relatives or friends, and, and so yeah. I mean, that's amazing to me. So that's just well, exciting. If I just see a name pop up I don't recognize doing a review, that's really exciting. Because you, you could buy a bunch now, your family knows what they're getting for Christmas. Right. <laughs> you know, just sign each one. Here you go, guys. That's right. Yeah, be like ten years later, you know, still be getting books for Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Moonshine was like, again, they just put it in their stack. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Speaking of which, you're watching people read it and stuff as we start to wind down a little bit. Social media, do you use it much? Do you, is that how you watch to see if people are reading it, talking about it? Do you what? Do you even care about social media? What's what's the deal? So I'm, I'm on Facebook, okay. uh, and uh, so. Russell W. Johnson is my uh, author account, and I've got a personal one. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm on Twitter at uh, RWJESQ, which is a joke. When I became a lawyer, I tried to tell my wife she had to call me Esquire. You know, she's never, <laughs> she's never done that. So um, uh, that's basically it. I, I've got a uh, an Instagram account, but I don't understand Instagram. I don't check it. <laughs> it's not, we're, I know we're it's, in the same boat here. I, Brad had to set all that stuff up for me, and I'm still... <laughs> you're like yeah. the old dad that doesn't understand anything the kids doing everything for you I know. <laughs> yeah. my 14 year old somehow link, to do things yeah like somehow I, I post things on facebook and they end up on instagram somehow that yeah. started recently and i keep i keep saying no because i don't use my facebook account at all okay. and i'm like i don't there's two different people i don't want my stuff on instagram to be on facebook oh <laughs> yeah my daughter show me how to do it she's 14 yeah. she'll show me yeah <laughs> my kids are all about tiktok and yeah you know, I, I watch their videos and I know there's people who do like book stuff on TikTok. I don't, I don't understand that world. I've done some book stuff on TikTok. It's, I normally just watch it just to see people fall, get kicked in the balls and stuff like that. On <laughs> it's like a rabbit hole. You really go down a rabbit hole in TikTok. So yeah, I mostly watch for like whatever trendy dance thing is happening, you know, that my yeah. daughter's doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you use, do you try to use social media to promote your stuff? Do you feel, I know we've talked to a lot of authors that like they feel awkward promoting their stuff. Uh, so I'm I'm using Facebook. I mean, I'll I'll post stuff on Twitter every now and then, but you know, it's like mm-hmm. I don't I'm not by any means popular or anything on Twitter. Um, you know, on Facebook, I, I'm trying to use that somewhat for outreach, but I'm I'm very much just kind of experimenting. Don't know what I'm doing with it. Yeah. 
have you gotten good response at all through the social media people replying back or commenting yeah it, yeah and you know i've had a couple um you know a lot of like the uh, charleston uh, paper the charleston daily mail west virginia did like a feature on the story and, and i mean that got a huge response it was like okay you know like you know tens of thousands of people you know were liking it and stuff and so that that was probably really like a hometown hero yeah something <laughs> like that and um yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, there have, there have been some things where, you know, people have been really supportive. So that's been great. That's cool. Do you feel like that article translated at all into any book sales at all that you could tell? Probably. I mean, uh, you know, Ron told me it, it, it sold really well, you know, pre-orders and things right out of the gate. And so I would, I'd probably have to attribute that article to being, you know, to a lot of that. Cool. Yeah. I feel, I feel like he, I feel like he posted a picture the other day. Of, he had a couple boxes, and I think it was on your release day. So it's mm -hmm. all Moonshine Messiah stuff that he had, that's the pre-orders that he was mailing out to people. Yeah. And he had a big stack of boxes. He had like, I don't know, four or five real big ones. Yeah. So, and, you know, I don't I don't know how this thing works. This is my first time doing it, but it seems like everything's very front-loaded. You know, like pre-orders is really big, and then, you know, mm -hmm. right out of the gate, like, I feel like, you know, like after a couple of weeks, you know, it's like you kind of have sold most of what you're going to sell. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So that's when the sequel comes in, though. And you reinvigorate, right. reinvigorate the interest in the first book. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get out of here, so book two's done. You have book three kind of in your head, ready to yeah. go, right? That's and right. Aside from this trilogy, are you working on anything else that we can expect from you? Well, so I, I have a legal thriller that um, my agent's trying to sell right now. So hopefully okay. that will land somewhere. Um, and th those are, those are the ones I think you're, you're most likely to see. I've, I've got a couple, you know, that I've put in the shelf that I may pull back out and, you know, that sci-fi erotica one, you know, <laughs> yeah. But, so. I want you to work on the sci-fi one. I think that I like your writing style in this one. I think you'd do a cool sci-fi story. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I've, I've got uh, an idea for, uh, you know, it's a UFO kind of thing and it's sort of a plant of the apes ending so we'll see if i, I don't I still know if i'm pull it off but see, a ufo one would be cool to set in you know appalachia somewhere just in the hills people getting abducted and coming back telling everybody and people not believing them yeah that's right yeah that would be so we'll see that's it's i haven't given up on that one yet yeah so this one is the moonshine messiah and it's shotgun honey uh mm -hmm. I've read it. Brad's read it. So we highly recommend it for those in the chat, for those watching this later on. It's fast paced. I'm going to tell you, I thought it was fast paced. I told Brad, like I watched, I, I read like the first 50 some pages. I was like, man, I'm going to take a breath, take a little break. <laughs> I think it's pretty fast paced. I like, I enjoy it because I mean, it's just moving along quick. A lot of stuff's happening. I don't think anybody's going to be disappointed, but uh, the moonshine Messiah is what you want to pick up. Shotgun honey, of course, support them. Russell, James Fetcho's so for getting his copy on Kindle tonight. He's, he's getting it right now. Right. Thank, thank you all. Russell, thanks you, so much for agreeing to, to hang out with uh, two bozos here with microphones and take our <laughs> questions like this. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed yes, it. Yes. Brad, do you have something else you want to get before we get out of here? I was just going to say, like the blurb says on the front, if you're a fan of the shows Justified and Sons of Anarchy, then you should yeah. definitely check this one out. I think it'll catch your interest. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And Moonshine Messiah. Yeah. How, what was that, Jay? The moonshine what? Messiah. Okay. It sounded like you said it weird. I'll let it slide. <laughs> do I have do I have Berber mouth? <laughs> are you are you slurring already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. All right. 
there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate everyone in the chat. I think there was an issue with the chat tonight. There was mine kept dying on my phone. I don't know about you, Brad, but it's all good. It's all good. It's so, fun. Yeah. Russell, thanks so much. Terry, meet again, everyone. Make sure you pick up the book and leave a little review for it. Till then. Right, thank you, all. you guys. Russell, thanks for bringing it out tonight, man. All right. Thank you very much. See you guys. Love you, Jay. Bye. I know you do. <laughs>